Good evening, everyone. It is uh, time for us to begin tonight, and uh, thank you for your attendance. We're still continuing on, um, you know, um, positive mental attitude. I know the quarter's changing over, but we're continuing it on this uh, same uh, chain of thought, and, and this will develop into whatsoever. So we're going, we'll see if we can get through positive mental attitude during this quarter and then transition into the next phase of it. And the next phase of it is whatsoever, and it goes with that. So anyway, uh, here we go. Let's, uh, let's pray together, please. Gracious and merciful God in heaven, thank you for your great blessings and for your gift of love, for your kindness and for your compassion, for allowing us to assemble, to meet, and to study your word. Help us to grow from what we study and what we learn and give us strength and energy for you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to start tonight. This is the fulfillment of a prophecy. The prophecy is in Jesus and so um, I want to read to you verse 22 and 23 from Moses. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So Moses uh, speaks of something to come, right? And so this is a long, long time ago. He spoke of this, of Jesus, the Christ. I wonder, I don't have the answer, but Hebrews chapter 11, I wonder when exactly. So we know it's 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and 40 years uh, um, at the end. I wonder, though, when did Moses have this revelation, epiphany, whatever we want to call it, um, that he made this decision? Was it before the prophecy, Deuteronomy 18, that he understood it or after, right? I don't know. Uh, but verse 23 of Hebrews chapter 11, I'm actually going to, we'll start there. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Remember what the edict was, right? Kill all the male children. And so, but no, she hid Moses. Verse 24, about Moses, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a bold statement. That's really a bold thought to say, I'm not going to be the daughter of Pharaoh. What does that, what does that mean when you think about that, right? It's not just saying, I'm, not, I'm no longer your child or I'm not going to be your child He's talking to a ruler, right? The daughter of Pharaoh. And he was strong enough to refuse it. But why? Right? I mean, how much of this knowledge in verse 23 did Moses have? Moses, you are a Jew. When did Moses truly discover that he actually was a Jew and not an Egyptian? We're not told. Right? We're not told at 
what age he begins to question, or is he looking around and going, you know, these guys look a little different from me. You know, what is it that made Moses understand that, if you will, in his heart? And then what made him refuse, knowing that he's a Jew, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? A lot of questions, right? The next one is in verse 25. Making that decision meant he was making a bigger choice than just the choice of not being called Pharaoh's daughter's son. But I don't want anything you have. Right? Um, Verse 25. Choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Now I want you to think about the relationship. So Acts, 20, uh, Acts uh, chapter uh, 3, 22 and 23. I'll raise my prophet like unto you. One of the ways that Jesus and Moses are alike, there's about 25 ways that Jesus and Moses are alike, but one in particular coming out of this verse. Moses left kingship, a place of power, to be a humble servant. And Jesus did the same, right? Came from heaven and he came as a humble servant. But what was it that made Moses make that decision? And what would make a Christian say today, I'm getting rid of everything to follow Jesus. Well, if Jesus gave us that mandate, then that's a, maybe a different kind of conversation. But what if that were the mandate from Jesus, what would cause us to decide to suffer rather than to experience and um, to live in joy in the sense of the passing pleasures of materialistic living? And, but the verse says sin, but it was sin and materialism. It was also idolatry. What woke him up, right? Something woke Moses up. We're not told what woke him up. We're told why he left. He fled because uh, he killed an Egyptian. But we're not told what woke him up. It's not revealed to us. And so I think about that, and I ask the question of myself, and I ask the question of you. What woke you up? Right? What woke you up? Something happened that woke you up. It made you say, you know, here's my life on this hand, but I need to be with Jesus. And that means I'm going to have to give up something or turn around from what I'm doing to come back to or to come to Jesus. We're no different than Moses in that sense, that we have to give up something in order to be what God wants us to be, right? whatever that may be that we have had to give up or that we gave up. But when you give those things up, I don't think I've ever met a... In fact, I know for a fact. I have never met a person that I'm baptized into Christ, and there's a slew of them, that have ever come out of that water saying, you know, I really don't know if I should have done that. Almost everyone comes out with that sigh of relief, like I've been rescued. I've been freed, I've been delivered, that sigh of relief, right, and excitement and, 
and inner joy, the choosing to leave the world, if you will, the passing pleasure of sin, materialism, etc., etc., and coming to God is a choice. And it brings joy. Right? We're talking about having a positive mental attitude. It's continually reminding ourselves of what Moses found him in himself. These are not my people. I'm one of God's children. When did he figure that out? Doesn't really matter uh, for the Bible study sense, but it matters in that we figured it out. And there's joy in being a child of God, right? It's constant and continual joy, even through suffering. Right? We say things like, um, you know, brother or sister so-and-so has, has gone on home to glory. You know, or, you know, because there's joy, there's, there's something that, that we expect that's greater than uh, what Moses left, right? which is pretty exciting. Our focus then from the heroes of faith is, remember, is that we're, we're reminded continually that we're not, this is not the end. We're passing through, right? You're going from one bad city uh, to get into heaven. But you got to get through the bad city. Right? And so you're going through the bad city to get to the place that we're waiting for, a city not made with hands, right? the place of God. So, so Moses, at some point, he, he had this epiphany, this, 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 this wisdom was given to him to recognize that it's more in pleasurable to serve God even if you have to suffer than it is to not be with God. And we're going to talk about that as we go through Tonight's lesson. The next verse, verse 26. Considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for or to the reward. So Moses with, just out of curiosity, how many times in the Old Testament do you read about heaven? Not the heavens, right? Like, like Elijah went up into a chariot into the heavens. Not the heavens, but heaven itself. You don't really read about heaven. All you read about in the Old Testament, for the most part, is that God came down right there. It's experience with God, and it was pretty amazing uh, for this experience. But these folks were able to figure out that God, who is greater than all, has some amazing plan waiting for his people. Right? And they were willing to leave everything for that plan. And, and so, as I, as I look about and look at Moses and think about what Moses did, Moses figured it out. And we figured it out. Right? Uh, the next verse says, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Seeing he could see God. <laughs> right? Can we see God? Yeah, right. He's talking to us right now <laughs> through his word, right? See, the scriptures, in order to find that joy, that positive mental attitude in all states of our lives, is to remind ourselves of the truth of what the Bible really states. Is it really, is this really a living and active book? Does this, the contents within the pages, half of my book, <laughs> within the pages, are they real? Are they alive, right? Or is it just another book? 
if it's just another book, then it will be very difficult to find that, that positive mental attitude in all situations. I mean, I know sometimes we have to reach down very, very deeply to find that joy. But you look down in the Scriptures and you find that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, and joy is something that emanates or comes from the knowledge of what God is, who God is, what God has done, what God is capable of doing, and what God is doing in your life every single day. Not just day, every moment of every single day. Because the opposite, the converse to that is that God wound the world up and let it go. And so the chips fall where they may. But see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that suffering is part of a plan. It's not a mishap. It's not uh, necessarily an accident. It's part of a plan that's bigger than me. And we're going to grab that here in, in just a moment. I just wanted to think about Moses for uh, another moment. I want to go to 1 Peter chapter 3. And in verse um, uh, 15, we're given a, a instruction on how we're supposed to respond. Now, keep in mind the context. So, in the first century, if a Roman soldier walked up to you and said, Hey, are you a Christian? <laughs> how do you respond? <laughs> what are you supposed to say? <laughs> yeah. But what does he have in his hand? <laughs> a sword. <laughs> and he has the right to put it through your heart if he chooses. So it's not, it's not as easy as a, of an answer as maybe today if someone asked us if we were Christians. You know, there's really there's no repercussion from that. I mean, it's, it's not going to probably uh, become a big deal. But, but the, the apostle writes to us by inspiration, and he says, the reason that you can answer the question yes, loudly, resounding in a beautiful way, to are you a Christian? Or tell me something about God? Or... Do you really believe in God? Or does God really exist? Whatever it may be, in the face of opposition is because these people learn to do something. They learn to sanctify God in their hearts. They learn to set God apart from all else. Right? And that's, that's the sanctifying work of the Spirit. That is the sanctifying work of my own mind in my own heart that God is separate from the natural world. And so, so we serve a living God who is separated, right? Separate from this natural world that we live in. And yet at the same time, He's in it. But He's only in it through us, right? He dwells in us. And so there's this overwhelming joy in knowing that the God of the universe is in this natural world, though he's outside of it, dwelling in us. And there's a purpose for him dwelling in us. And the purpose is to work in us to accomplish his will. But he's helping me do what I really want to do. And that is, I want to serve him. And I want to go to heaven. So listen to what it says. Verse 15. But sanctifying Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness 
and reverence. So there's this level of respect. There's reverence to God. There's gentleness to, we're not arguing. We're not going to fight it, right? But we're going to talk about it to people. And we're going to make the point that it doesn't matter what white coat you have on. (laughs) Um, It doesn't matter what people say around us. I am going to sanctify Christ in my heart. And no one can take that away. Right? So think about that again in light of the Roman invasion that they were saying, not even the Romans can take that from me. You can kill me, but you cannot take Christ from me. Right? And that was that joy that even if I die, Jesus promised it, I live. Right? Isn't that great? You see, there's this joy of understanding when you remember and you remind yourself that we're just passing through. We're not supposed to be here any longer than we're supposed to be here. Right? That's God's plan. And so suffering has a purpose and an intent behind it. In verse uh, 16, And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So here's this, this second part. It's also a part, so my suffering is also a part of the world's judgment, right? Which is interesting. I don't have to take revenge because it's all part of, their, of the world's judgment that God is not only watching, protecting, guiding, guarding, leading, loving, everything, right? He's also taking care of my enemy for me. So I don't have to. So instead, I can walk away knowing Maybe, maybe selfishly, well, I won that one, right? Though I was suffering. So when I was weak, I was really strong. And when I was losing, I was really winning. It's kind of ironic, right? The life of a Christian is, is filled with irony. You know, the opposite occurs, right, from what's supposed to happen. And so there's this, this, this continual joy in, in being called a Christian or being a child of God even through suffering. So Moses, I may not, but Moses chose to suffer. Why? Why did Moses choose to suffer instead of the opposite? Any ideas, thoughts? Because in suffering, that's where God was. So Moses, in actuality, chose to be with God instead of being with idols. See the difference? The contrast? When Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house, there are idols everywhere. You know, explaining who's Ray, who is nut, who is this. You know, they had all these gods. Moses chose to walk away from idolatry and land in the hands of a loving God. Moses chose to leave the world of pleasure, passing pleasure of sin, to come to a God who could save. He recognized that these other gods, idol gods, could not, will never be able to help, save, protect, guide, guard, give an eternal home. There was nothing they had to offer, and so he came to God. But he chose to leave pleasure to come to a world of suffering. Because suffering is where God was. 
Like when God told Israel to leave, the Hebrews to leave Egypt and go into the wilderness, where was God? In the wilderness. It wasn't in Egypt. So the wilderness was suffering. But that's where God was. What was the point in the wilderness in that suffering? We're using the word suffering because that's really the word that's, that's used there. It was a teaching tool. It was a teacher, right? What was God doing? He said, okay, they're wandering. Yep, my children are thirsty. I got a plan for them. Just over, over yonder, right? Just over, over the hill, I've got some water for them. Just need them to keep on walking. Instead, they stop. We need some water. We're going to die out here. We're not going to, we can't. God was trying to teach him something. I can, I, I've got you covered. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Jesus said that. Or what you're going to drink. Or how you're going to clothe yourself. I've got you covered. Are the pages that say that, are they true? Suffering has a plan. Right? It's not, it's not something that just happens because it's, I'm in the wrong place at the wrong time. It has a plan, a divine plan. So, um, verse 16 says, to keep a good conscience, do, the way, do it the way that God wants you to, for he, wants, he wants me to. So look at chapter 4 and verse 12. Um, so in doing it the way God wants us to, we, we have to listen to the divine plan. And the divine plan is, let me tell you how not to suffer, right? Because then you'll deserve it. Um, verse 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. So, when I find myself going through some stuff, is the Bible telling me not to be surprised? I mean, you go, I don't know why this is happening. And the Bible says, yeah, you do. There's a design for this. Yeah, but I don't like it. Well, okay, but it's going to do some amazing things for you in your future. But yeah, but right now, Lord, and God says, what, why are you acting surprised? Right? It's a divine plan. And so how do I learn to see that divine plan of God through my suffering? And maybe I keep suffering and I haven't learned the lesson yet. <laughs> maybe that's why it keeps coming, right? Um, so he says, he says don't, don't let it be a shocker to you, right? Don't let it just be something that ruins your life or destroys your day. Don't let suffering be something that makes you give up on God or, or throw in the towel. No, step back, sanctify Christ as, as Lord in your heart and say, I realize, God, I understand. Like Israel traveling through the wilderness, you were teaching them something. What do you want me to learn, Lord? What do I need to learn? Help me to see. Bless me to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And then in verse, in verse 13, but to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, being like Jesus, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice in it with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of the glory and of God rests upon you. So there's this, uh, these words are, you know, they're touching. 
you know, rejoice, be filled with joy, rejoice in, in suffering, rejoice in suffering because it's teaching me something. It's drawing me closer. Would you agree? It's drawing me closer to God. You know, you start suffering, you pray more. You ever been, you ever been there, right? That natural response to suffering is you pray more. You say, well, I have more time. No, because you don't want to suffer anymore. So it draws us closer, even closer to God. There's a divine, a divine plan in suffering. And so God says, look, in suffering, as we sanctify Christ as Lord in our hearts, we remember that Jesus suffered. We look back, Moses chose to suffer. We see Israel in the wilderness suffering. We see God's people suffering. But what we get is we get the full picture. They didn't always suffer, right? It was to their glory from God that they suffered. There was an amazing transformation that happened through that suffering. See, what we want to do oftentimes, at least I know I do, I want to come out on the other side, but I'd rather start from that side, right? I don't want to start on this side and then go through it all and then end up on this side. I'd rather take the shortcut, right? If I could just boop, beam me up and put me down on the other side, that's much better. But that's not how it works, right? So what do I need to learn to give up or learn in my relationship with Christ? Or um, what is it that's keeping me out of heaven that God wants me to learn how to, how to change and transform and be more like him? What's stopping me? What's in the way? What is Satan using to trick me and trap me? God says, look, I'm going to help you see it. Well, how, Lord? You might have to suffer a little bit, right? Because usually, you know, it gets my attention then, right? Um, so when you're suffering, God, God's glory, amazing question, amazing verse, uh, rests upon you. That's a, that's a Thursday night Bible study, by the way. Thursday night discussion, we're going to be talking about God's glory. That's an amazing conversation. Glory of God. Like, what is that glory of God? It's just, you know, just, it's incredible. And to, and to hear a verse like this that says, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's a powerful, powerful verse. Start researching the glory of God and then recognize what's happening to me in my suffering. And you start going, wow, that's, that's beyond this world. It's special, it's unique, and it is a sanctified work from God. Right? So much deeper than just the idea that, well, I'm going through something. It's the spirit, the glory of God is resting upon me in my suffering Wait, why would God do that? Why would God, why would God rest upon me in my suffering? Right? Because we're viewing and participating in the sanctifying work of God himself. Pretty amazing, right? The book of Job's not in there for nothing. It's in there for a reason. So if you suffer as a Christian, you're blessed. And here's the reason why. Because God is going to rest upon you. By no means, though, qualifier, right? Like what 
um, my brother says, he says, spoiler alert, right? You say all the time, Danny. Here's a spoiler alert. By no means let any one of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler, right? That's not how we want to suffer because then you deserve to suffer. The opposite is let God choose to allow you to suffer for His name's sake and then watch what happens. So, going back, you know, coming to, uh, I mean, we're not going to make this colloquial. We'll, we'll stay right here in the first century. So now, the Roman soldiers come up. What are you going to do? Right? Open the door and let him in. Can hide our books first, right? It's all right. That's human. They come in. They take us anyway. And then we start praying, right? We start praying, God. And then we'll remember Rhoda. Remember Acts 12? And, and they were praying inside the house. Sometimes I wonder, do I believe my prayer? And then Rhoda goes out and Peter's at the gate, right? Because they, they took him. And then what does she do? Remember her response? Her response in disbelief, although everyone in the house has been praying that God would release Peter, now Peter's right there. She leaves him outside. <laughs> she runs back inside. Peter's at the gate. <laughs> Did you believe your prayer? You know, why was it unbelievable to see Peter at the gate? I'm not saying I would have responded any differently. But what I'm saying is God is trying to show us something. God is alive and real. And sometimes because we don't see God, maybe it's a little more difficult to, to visualize in our hearts a true reality of what the Bible is trying to explain to us. And they just become words on, on a page instead of, instead of a reality in our lives. So when we realize that reality, that, that, that through our, our struggles in our suffering, that the Spirit of the glory of God rests upon us. It's a sanctifying work of God, and that God is blessing us through it in a way that you won't normally receive that blessing. It gives us a different attitude. We're talking about positive mental attitudes through our struggles or our sufferings. Right? So Jesus tried to tell us that. A lot of things that Jesus tries to tell people he told them in the first century, never really got it. Or some of them got it. We know, they're going to Matthew 5. We know in the first century, you know, the apostles got it. And we know that Christians got it. We know that because Revelation 12 tells us that they didn't love their lives even to death. So, here's a, a, the proper perspective to view hardships in the name of Christ. To find the joy is belief. Either Jesus is right or Jesus is wrong. And we get to decide that. So listen to what it says. Matthew 5 verse 10. Blessed are the poor, uh, those excuse me, who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you. Uh, falsely on account of me rejoice and be glad for your reward excuse me the reward in heaven is great for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you it's never 
going to stop. You're always going to be ridiculed for being a Christian. You're always going to be ridiculed for doing what's right. You know, what do we say? Uh, no, good, no good deed goes unpunished, right? You're always going to be ridiculed for saying I'm sorry, for, for manning up and being godly and doing the right thing. And, you know, it's always going to be that way. It's never going to stop. But the other part that's never going to stop are your blessings from it. Blessing, 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 blessing. God is counting up those blessings, giving you all those blessings through all of that. See, that the, when we're younger in the faith, you know, we kind of don't want people to know. But when you grow more maturity in your faith, it's like, I don't care what you know about me. I'm a child of God. You know me. You know what I do. You know how I speak. You know how I live. I'm a child of God. I'm not changing. And I'm happy to be a child of God. That's that conviction through conversion that all of us need to make sure that we get to. Right? Because there is a, a purpose and a plan through suffering for Jesus. Pretty, you know, it's, it's excited when, exciting when we're not suffering. I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest with you. But gosh, if you can get that perspective in your mind and, and understand that, remind yourself of that. Uh, it helps us to get through those really, really difficult days, right? Those tough times. I, I love hearing of uh, reports of Christians who are in the hospital and they're evangelizing the nurses and the doctors. You know, doctor comes in and goes, well, there's not much more I can do for you. And go, actually, I was depending on God for this. <laughs> well, what do you, well, I mean, I'm going to, well, I know, I'm praying, for, I'm praying for you. God's going to bless you. And you know what? If it turns out that this surgery doesn't go well and I don't make it out, I get to go home. I'm good. Don't worry about it. You're fine. Just do your best. Let God do his work. Wow. You know, I love it when I go to the hospital and, um, and then the nurses, uh, you know, they, they say, oh, it's, you know, come here. Come pray for these people. Right? Because they, they know who you are. You know, you're a man of prayer. And so when you teach them or help them to depend on God, Instead of the people who put the bandages on you. Those are the doctors and nurses. It's God who does the healing, right? So our, our, our whole hope is, is not fixed on man. It's always fixed on God, right? And that's why we, we never say, like, good luck. No, we don't need luck. I don't want luck. I've been there, right? I want God's blessings. So there are these great blessings. Look, Matthew 17. So here's the end. Here's... Here was the end game. Moses is back there in the Old Testament and, and he, he, he forsakes the riches and the glory of, of, of Rome and all that and, and instead he, uh, he comes to God and Matthew 17, look at the, the end game. Did, Moses couldn't have seen this part but wow, looking back. Um, verse 1, six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. So, so in this place called paradise, and coming out in this transfiguration, Moses is with Jesus. Moses is with God. Where's Pharaoh? The opposite. Right. Was it worth it? 
wow. We get to see the, um, the entire picture. Right? We, get, we get to see it all. They didn't get that. They didn't get to see the end. We get to see the end. It's supposed to do something to us. Right? When we can read the account of, of, of characters in the Bible and we can see the beginning and we can see the struggles in between and then we get to see the end, that's supposed to do something to us, right? It's supposed to make us remember that I too am like that individual and maybe I'm in my beginning phase or maybe I'm in the middle somewhere. I don't know where I am, but I know what the end is going to be, right? And so there's this reason to always rejoice. Rejoice always. Again, I say, how many times is that written in the Bible? To rejoice, 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 right? And talking to people who are being persecuted, and then he's saying, rejoice. Got something greater for you. It's worth it, right? Okay, Jeremiah, let's go through his, let's go through his um, mental struggle, right? Jeremiah chapter 20. Um, his, his own people in Jeremiah 20, they, they, had, uh, they had shamefully uh, dishonored him. I mean, they treated Jeremiah terribly as a prophet of God. Um, and it's because he faithfully taught them God's word. But then Jeremiah, I wanted to get a really, a very real uh, character for us. Um, Jeremiah got tired of preaching. <laughs> Jeremiah said, I'm done. These people are crazy. <laughs> they're not listening. They're not honoring. Jeremiah is uh, one of the only prophets listed in the Bible who never converted a person. <laughs> he never converted one. No one repented, recorded repented. In the scriptures, when Jeremiah preached, Jeremiah spoke uh, to the king who was still in Jerusalem, about to be carried off in the Babylonian captivity. Jeremiah chapter 20, Jeremiah has some things that he wants to discuss with God, beginning at verse, at verse 7. Right? So this is uh, similar to a theophanies where, you know, but it's, so theophanies is a man, a prophet speaks to God and God speaks back. God is not speaking back other than through prophecy, but look at how Jeremiah comes to the proper conclusion and understanding once, uh, once he gets through this moment of um, mental struggle. Okay? Listen to what it says, verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou hast overcome me and prevailed. I have become a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. I was told one day, you know, I just want to say this to you, preacher. When you invite people to Christ and you study with them, you give them this amazing picture of the church and the Lord, and they come to Christ and they're so excited, and then they see something different. They say, you're kind of letting people down. I go, no, I'm telling them the truth. Truth is, all of that is true. Right? But there is some stuff in the middle. <laughs> we'll deal with that as time goes on. Jeremiah says, I, I've been deceived. I, I thought, you know, God, you chose me. And when you look at the early, look at the earlier chapter of Jeremiah. Let me just, I'm going to come back to this. Chapter, um, chapter 1. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. 
And then the Lord stretched out his hand. And, and so he gives me this encouragement. And then Jeremiah says, I've been deceived. <laughs> I've, I've been tricked. Lord, if you're with me, how can you be with me? I'm preaching and no one's listening. Right? Uh, the next verse, verse 8. For each time I speak, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and, and destruction. Because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. I'm having a hard time with this, God. Right? And, and, then, he, and then he goes into, okay, and this is where I'm at. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop preaching. I'm done. It, but if I, verse, verse 9, if I say I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire. Shut up my bones and I'm weary of holding it in, and I cannot endure it. I, I love that fight. You know, that, that you, know, you, you know, I'm not going to go to church today. Hmm. Well, I mean, no. You know, I love that. You know, I, I'm giving up on God. I love that, that inner fight that people go through. It's not easy to give up on God, but many have done that. But it was a struggle to give up on. You ought to talk to people who walked away from God and say, hey, let's talk about when you first decided to walk away from God. How hard was it? Oh, it was terrible. I'm telling you, I struggled through that because I kept going back and forth. And, you know, of course, because, because you're fighting what you know to be true, right? And so, anyway, they later exposed that. So uh, Jeremiah says, I become weary of holding it in when I, I'm not going to speak it. I'm not going to say it. For I have heard the whispering of many, terror on every side. Denounce him, yes, let us denounce him. All my trusted friends watched from my fall say perhaps he will be deceived so that we may prevail against him and take our refuge or revenge rather on him. All my friends, everybody turned against me, right? I've been tricked. But the Lord is with me like a, dread champion. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be utterly ashamed because they have failed with an everlasting disgrace that will not be forgotten. We get to see the end, right? We saw the struggle in the beginning. We see the struggle in his own heart in the middle. The persecution, the struggle in his own heart. But then we see the victorious winning of those who stay with the Lord, even through persecution. Two more verses, and then, is that the first bell? Okay. Um, Yet, O Lord of hosts, thou who dost test the righteous, who sees the mind and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. For to thee I have set forth my cause, saying to the Lord, Praise the Lord, for he has delivered the soul of the needy one from the hand of evildoers. Oh, now we get it, right? And what, you had to suffer, Jeremiah, to watch God do what? Deliver you. Now go back and read the book of Jeremiah and watch how God delivered him. Oh, but he went through some stuff, right? Hand, head placed in stalks, thrown in the mud, struggle. But you got to love the middle. The middle, the middle end, the Babylonians are invading Jerusalem. So imagine this, right? Soldiers, enemies coming around, swords and spears, shields, etc., and they're invading Jerusalem, and Jeremiah is not doing what everyone else is doing. When you read the text, everyone else are hiding and afraid and scared, and Jeremiah is walking around in peace. 
He literally is walking around in peace in the midst of a war because God put his protection on Jeremiah. The Babylonian himself, the king, and the captain said, leave Jeremiah alone. Everybody else you can grab, but no one messes with Jeremiah. And Jeremiah went to get Elias house and he stayed there and he bought a field. And I mean, it was like, wow, okay, now I'm getting to see God, the greatness of the picture that you have even for your suffering saints. So, maybe not in the middle, but we've got to dig deep. But definitely in the end, we see God's victory. As God's people, we get to see the beginning, the middle, and the end. We know that we win. So try to find that, um, that victory, if you will, that positivity, that positive mindset, even through suffering, because we know what's going to happen. God's glory and His Spirit is going to rest upon us. God's going to lift us up, and we're going to win. It all works out for God's people, right, always. Okay, time's up. Thank you very much. We'll come back next week, Lord willing, and pick up. I wanted to kind of run through this one tonight. Thank you.